Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host Jason Hammond. Hey, um, today we're talking about sprinting, and we're going to start with a hot take on sprinting. And the hot take is, everyone needs to sprint. And this is less of a hot take as just a hard truth for those of you who don't want to sprint. I feel like you've said this before, on air even. Yes, I absolutely have. And it's... It's true. I mean, there's there's no point in a race. Well, okay, Ironman, maybe. There's no point in a race where you win it by not accelerating and not accelerating hard. That's that's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for perhaps the ultra endurance races, you're just not decelerating, right? But other, other than that, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna vary. I'm gonna go away from cycling for just a moment. You know why Usain Bolt won, wins the 100 meters, right? Yeah, because he doesn't slow he, down. He doesn't right? slow down as much yeah. as everybody else. Well, and but, it's attacking on a climb, you're also slowing right. down less. Yes, fair know? fair enough. <laughs> Just uh, what do you choose as your zero point yep, you know, from absolutely. your perspective? So this is um, the topic here is um, how to be a better sprinter. And the idea is basically um, this is the start of a series of topics where you kind of say, uh, yeah, this is a hole in my repertoire and I'd like to get better at it, but you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just not X, whatever the topic is. And, uh, hopefully we can shine some light on the way that you can become whatever the, the topic is. So today it's sprinting. And I think that the big thing with all of these topics is going to be no matter what you have to be this. And like, like we said, every race is one with some sort of acceleration you have to be a sprinter. Uh, and, you know, what, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your riding style? Is that sprinting in the last 15 seconds? Is that sprinting at the exact right moment when there's like a little pitch for you to get a split and then, you know, carry it the rest of the way? What is sprinting to you? But at the end of the day, you, you are a sprinter, even if you, you know, oh, I do, I'm a time trialist, I'm a, a rulier, I'm a whatever. You, you are you have to be in the mindset of I'm a sprinter and you have to maximize your ability to sprint in order to let your other abilities shine. Well, I mean, I think I'd even go so far as to say, even if it's not you trying to win the race, there isn't there is a point in the race where you're going to have to accelerate hard to give yourself the opportunity to win the race later because somebody else is making a move. That's and you, true. And you can't ignore that. Right. So, like, yes, I'm not a sprinter. Well, if you want to have a chance to win the race. You need to accelerate because the pack just picked up the pace big time. And if you don't, like you're, you might as well go back to the car. Yeah, I guess there's there's also defensive sprinting uh, to a certain extent in when there's the um, the sort of the back and forth of the tactics in mm -hmm. a race. So to start off, we're going to talk about sprinting in three different terms, starting with power, then control, and then timing. So you can break down sprinting into these three groups, starting with power. Uh, at the end of the day, you need the power to put down the watts to get the separation so what is sprinting sprinting is um, basically an instantaneous burst an impulse of power that allows you to split yourself away from the field the the main purpose of this is to either get yourself to the line as quickly as possible or your goal is to get other people out of your slipstream so you need the power to if we go back to newtonian physics f equals ma um, you know, you, you technically have like a pretty set mass usually, um, unless you're ditching water bottles. Um, your acceleration 
is going to be determined by your force and force over force over time is power so if you have more power you have more acceleration so um, how do you get power well uh, one thing that i recommend personally is i think everyone should be lifting we have uh, a whole podcast on strength training i think it's really important um, i think that having a higher total muscle mass you don't see very many pros with low quad and glute muscle mass uh, so lifting is a good way to do that. But I think also something that a lot of riders who say, oh, I'm not really a sprinter. I'm, I'm not built for sprinting. They, there's a lot of ways that people sort of say they're not a sprinter. And I don't identify as a sprinter. I know how to sprint. I've won some field sprints. Um, but I think that a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not really made to be a sprinter. And my response is usually, how many times have you sprinted this week in training? or in simulation races, or in races. Um, and usually the answer is, well, uh, and I think that one thing that's neglected is, especially as you're developing as a rider, sprinting in training, sprinting to practice is huge. And it's really important to have specific days where you say, I'm going on a ride, but I need to sprint five times for a certain light pole or a certain town sign or some other marker that's safe for you to go full gas for and make sure there's no cars passing you from behind in case you, you know, move out of the bike lane. But you need to do dedicated sprint practice, and that's a much greater way to increase your power. Or, you know, I, I would say it's, it's about the same in importance as directly lifting. So I think there's two there's two things here, right? So there's lifting weight, which is going to increase your ability to produce force in, the, in an absolute sense. You your muscles get stronger, you may develop more muscle mass, and that increases your ability to produce force. And there's another concept here. You you alluded to it right when you power is force over time uh, is a rate of force development. So really like yes a whole bunch of force is great but if you accelerate on your bike like you're lifting a heavy squat that's not terribly effective it's not going to get you away from anybody uh, you need to be able to develop that force quickly right and so that, some of that's part of lifting is doing lifts that are quick and some of that's cadence work when you're on the bike or working like so my experience is as a mountain biker is the sprint at the start of the race is super important Right. So like getting, establishing your position. So I think I always did whenever I was riding my bike anywhere, I was like, okay, I have a stoplight. I'm going to sprint away from the stoplight because that for me was the perfect race simulations. I need to sprint from a dead stop. And so that rate of force development, being able to go from zero to turn a gear and then accelerate it up to a speed to be able to get to the trail first is super important for me. Yeah. And, and normally you'll see on the curve, uh, the power curve, you'll have a pretty, You'll probably have like a one second, um, you know, sub-maximal power. You'll hit your peak power, you know, the second, third seconds, and then you have a, a slight drop off. And this is not just because of how muscles work, but also because of the increased cadence. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to put down the same amount of power as your cadence increases. And you'll actually see top pros. The issue they have is they're in their 5311 and they can't just can't move their legs fast enough more than they can't produce the power. And so... Um, just as much as the ability to fire muscles, they need to fire quickly and they need to be fired, you know, over and over mm -hmm. again. So uh, I think the big thing on the power end is um, doing dedicated sprints and also uh, core work is important. That's part of strength training, but 
Um, the idea is you're out of the saddle. I mean, if we want to go very basic, we should mention that you should be in the drops. You should be out of the saddle. You should be sort of hovering over your pedals. Um, don't be too far back. Don't be too far forward. And in this position, you only have four points touching the bike instead of your typical five. And so you have to use your arms and your core and you know the rest of your body other than your legs. You have to use that to resist any sort of force that doesn't go directly into the rear wheel. So you know your pedals are offset from the bike slightly. So your bike wants to move side to side. You um, you know you may have issues with the front wheel moving a little bit. Um, so a big part of the core work is stiffening all of the links that mm -hmm. connect basically your hips. You want to stabilize your your hips and allow all the force to move through that without any of that force going into the motion of your body. So the bracing of the core, the bracing of the arms, um, back, chest, all of this is um, really important to producing more power. And I think you can see that. I think on your power meter, go sprint somewhere. So actually sprint. And I think you will actually see that on your power meters to so go sprint sort of mindlessly and then go sprint and consciously tighten your lats, tighten your core, really stabilize your trunk and your torso, I almost guarantee you'd be able to pick it up on your power meter because more of that energy is now going into driving the bike forward and not just moving your body and the bike meaninglessly side to side. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is, I think this is even an advanced idea is also pulling up, um, sort of utilizing the whole pedal stroke instead of just the downstroke. And um, in order to be able to pull up, you have to really have a good core your hips really have to be able to float over your body in order mm -hmm. to be able to utilize all of your muscles and your legs. And um, we definitely talked about this in a previous podcast, but I, I really specifically remember Andre Greipel, a side view of him on the Champs-Élysées, and just the ability for him to utilize all of the muscles in his leg. I mean, that is a big indicator of your capacity to produce a lot of power as to how much total muscle mass can you recruit. Mm -hmm. And uh, the... You know, I think some specific core work that's done off the bike for the most part, though, it's the conscious on bike sprinting and focusing on bracing everything, focusing on really extending, you know, through that seven o'clock with your toes so that you engage your calves as well and pulling up and uh, keeping everything also kind of tidy uh, so that you can, you know, get the cadence up and keep the power down. I think those are all good ways to increase the power and they need to be done. And um, like we said in our last episode on sleep, you need to also reinforce the um, the motor patterns in your brain and allow your brain to get used to that position, get used to the squeezing of all your muscles and get used to the ability to really smash um, the pedals down. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. There, there is definitely a technique part to this. It's not just like I need to lift weights. So my legs are strong. Like you need to, yes, true but you also need to be able to apply that power in a meaningful way and that takes practice yep and and the other thing that uh, maybe is a little more basic is um, you do want to actually move the bars a little bit so the big thing is um, when you're pushing down on the pedals you're off center so the bike wants to lean into the pedals and um, so, so say you're pushing down with your right foot the bike wants to lean over to the right side and uh, part of the reason that you see top sprinters moving the bike is to allow their leg to fully extend and to have the pedal under their body because normally you would have, um, you know, your knees would be like slightly out or, um, 
the alignment is a little bit off. So you, you move the bike to allow for the alignment to be really good with the down leg, but also normally you would pull with the opposite arm. So if you're pushing down with your right foot and the bike is leaning to the right, you're really putting a lot of load through the left arm and then, you know, you switch. So it, especially at lower, um, lower cadences, say you're doing like a standing start sprint, you really want to focus on pulling with the opposite arm to keep the bike a little more in place. And you'll see a lot of top riders really have a lot of control of the bike. A lot of more noodly riders kind of let the bike do whatever it wants. And, you know, eventually these top riders as they're doing, you know, a lot of the top guys can sprint for like 20 seconds, which is incredible. I think the expectations for more amateur riders is more like 10 to 12 seconds. And I think that my recommendation for an amateur is to start your sprint as late as possible. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about timing a little bit later, but you'll notice that the form decreases, the bike becomes more noodly. And you know, the longer that you can keep everything tidy, like we said before, is definitely going to improve your capacity to put down power. Um, so the next topic is control. So um, this topic is kind of not specific to uh, your form or anything like that. This is more about your sprinting in a pack. Why should you be the first one to cross the line? So sprinting, a lot of people think is, you know, you come around the last corner in a, in a corporate office crit and, you know, the road is four lanes wide and everybody lines up eight wide and everybody just lets it out and um, whoever crosses the line first this is normally not how sprinting is done it's more of a um you know like oh we're going oh we're stopping oh we're going now we're stopping and there's a lot of um sub maximal efforts and there's a lot of um precise movements that allow someone to get the free air at the right time to be able to win a sprint so if you look at top uh, pros the way they sprint usually the two best placed riders is one the person who's right at the back of the lead out who gets the fresh air hopefully at the right point and they can just rip for 200 meters and all they do is stare at their stem and just ride straight down the middle of the road and just let out all the power they have and then usually there's another person who either wins or gets second who is maybe not quite as positioned as well but they're able to hide for longer and they let out their sprint kind of at the last second. This second type of rider has a lot of control. And, and this is normally the type of rider that a lot of people say, you know, yeah, they're a very good sprinter. So um, if you if you look at Viviani, if you look at um, Caleb Ewan sometimes as well, mm -hmm. you'll see that um, basically they get smushed in at times and it's their, they have to like sit up to avoid crashing and they're able to sit up and then they're able to get back on the power once the lane frees back up. This is the kind of control that I'm talking about. So you need control in the last lap to not be too close to the front. You're going to get squished. There's no way as a sprinter that you don't get squished out of a position. And it's the sprinters with the maturity to let that position go, but also to stay focused on finding the next hole to get back where they were and back to where they want to be. Um, and this stuff is, if you want my recommendation on how to get better at it, it's only doing it. So how are you going to do this? I mean, my recommendation is track racing uh, because you do get so many opportunities to sprint. So you get opportunities to sort of get squished out, find your way back around. It's also a very simple format. So there's, you know, no big turns, no big 
um, obstacles that you have to focus on, you can focus on your movement relative to everyone else's. You don't have to shift. You don't have to break. Yeah. You just have to push and uh, focus on not running into people and um, asserting yourself in gaps correctly. So other ways to do this is um, if, if you do want to get better at sprinting, focusing on going to that crit, the, the training crit, that you know Wednesday afternoon training crit or um, whatever it is in your local area, making sure that you go to that and making sure that your focus of the day is on the last couple laps and being in a position and focus on, you know, I want to set myself up for the sprint and, um, you know, going through the steps of what that means. So where do I want to be with two laps to go? Where do I want to be with one lap to go? Um, and, um, where can I, like, what can I do when I'm in a position that I don't like? And how can I control what's going to happen and how do I put myself in the right position? And I think in that sort of situation, you can also learn a lot about yourself as a sprinter. I think there's there's different types of sprinters. And I'm sure we'll get to this when we talk about timing a little bit, right? There's there's some guys who can do a relatively long sprint right? and they, they do better with that. Some people who have a very short sprint, but they have an incredible acceleration. So they may not be able to sprint for 12 or 15 seconds, but for five seconds, they can generate a tremendous gap. So they wait, wait, wait to the very end. And so all those practice opportunities allow you to learn about yourself and or what your best sprinting tactic is, maybe your second best. So you, you can understand all the ways that you're capable of doing a good sprint and, you know, basically try to optimize in that race scenario on, that race, on race day of, okay, I've got these sort of two, two tricks in my bag or three tricks in my bag. I love to wait till there's, you know, only five seconds worth of sprinting because that's my, my go-to, but the sprints are already started. So what do I do now? And how, how can I still win this sprint, even though it's not set up the way that I would like it to be? Right. One thing, big thing that I learned in that idea is I'm really good with fast sprints. Mm -hmm. So if the last lap is hot, that's really good for me, as opposed to I know a lot of lower level races, people will sort of just look at each other and uh, you'll end up actually creeping along in that last lap. And you do get that eight person across um, position. And, um, you know, and unfortunately, if that happens, you just have to deal with the, the really big, huge, you know, ogre man who uh, can out sprint you on a like mano y mano. But um, hopefully you can, you know, either entice people or you know, maybe just sheer luck or the course, however it is, can uh, be conducive to a fast finish And um, if, if you're a little more snappy. Um, other than that, I think that's a lot of control. I, the other, I guess the other topic with control is um, how to take positions. So if you are, a lot of people who aren't as good at sprinting are also not too comfortable being close to other riders. So um, big thing with sprinting and taking position and preparing for a sprint is being able to get yourself into the right position. And how do you get yourself in the right position? The first rule is protect your front wheel. So the easiest way to go down is to lose your front wheel. So to have it spin to the side. And um, so your your mindset should really be, this is the most important thing. And you almost have this, like, you almost exist as the front wheel. I, I don't know if there's a good way to say this, but um, you think of your body, your whole entity is sort of just the front wheel and um, you sort of move around and you try and stick it into holes where it's good. And the other thing that you focus on is where your handlebars are. So 
um, you know, your handlebars are directly connected to your front wheel. So if you also catch your handlebar on something, that'll do the same thing as um, having your front wheel swiped. So uh, one thing that you can do is if to get a gap is sticking your handlebars in the right place. So if your handlebars are in front of someone else's, say you're side by side with someone and, you know, for whatever reason, there's only enough space for one bike, which one of you two will be the, the bike that fits in? It's the person whose handlebars are in front of the others. And that's because the person whose handlebars are behind doesn't have as much capacity to impose their position because they have to take care of their front wheel and they have to take care of their handlebars. And this is something that needs to be practiced in training crits and practiced with people who know that you're going to practice this. But you'll see a lot of high level riders. They can get really close to you and they're not afraid, you know, inches, maybe their hands tap your hands mm -hmm. and um, that's kind of how they impose themselves. So one technique that I I think that I execute well is you sort of get a little too close to somebody. You don't have to tap them. You don't have to make contact, but you get a little uncomfortably close. They almost flinch for a second and give you a, a tiny little bit of space. And if you're able to sneak in before they can react and say, oh, I didn't want to do that. You, you're almost taking advantage of like you, you, you snap right in their face and they react for a second. And by then you've already, you know, taken what you wanted. That's sort of the, you know, the bike version of that is you know, say there's a single line and you, you know, you want to be fifth wheel and there's someone already fifth wheel, uh, come up beside them, get in really close, make them react. And then, you know, do almost like a double, a double lean in. So the first lean is to get them to move out a little bit and then quickly lean in again. And, and that sort of pushes them to the side a bit and, and allows you to start to assert your position more. Um, stuff like that is definitely needs to be learned, uh, on the day and this isn't stuff that you can do in the gym or anything like that and i think that a lot of sprinters or people who are good at sprinting spend plenty of time practicing this stuff and um you know between all their crit races even their group rides they'll they'll focus on getting close to people um, basically any chance they have to um, race or do any sort of competitive thing they're working on imposing themselves within mm -hmm. the pack yeah okay. they just kind of have to be willing to stick your nose in there a little bit um and yeah, I, mean, I think the other thing is just being strong when you do it. I think you, not to saying you got to push somebody over, but if you're if you're gonna go in, you go and try to impose your will a little bit. You have to recognize that somebody's just gonna push back against you. You got to hold your position. You, mm -hmm. you, know, you have to be strong enough to not lose your balance. And you're gonna go in there. You're committed. You're not worried about somebody bumping into you because you know you can control your bike. Right. And I think it's also interesting, the different types of riders. You see a lot of um, the the national, um, the USA crits riders that are the most successful ones are generally quite big. Mm -hmm. um, you'll have 200 pound crit riders and uh, someone who's closer to 150 pounds, maybe a little snappier, smaller guy will actually have trouble imposing himself on someone who's significantly bigger. And this is back. This is like a you know, just momentum equation, mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, if a 150 pound object hits a 200 pound object, you know, the 150 pound objects moving a bit further yep. and you'll see a lot of the smaller guys will, they learn how to impose themselves in different ways. And they tend to sneak into gaps that you didn't really know existed. And if you're a larger rider, you, you know, the available gaps is smaller. So mm -hmm. you tend to, um, just sort of dominate the, the area that you have rather than um, sneak around and the uh who's the um the young local 
uh, 18 or 19 year old who's like 125 pounds. Um, he, he does a lot of the P12 uh, races, but he has multiple times just snuck underneath in the last corner. And he basically will start his sprint five seconds before the last corner. He'll dive underneath because he's tiny and he'll come out with more speed than you and just carry it to the finish line. And that's his way of sprinting. And he spent a lot of time mastering that, perfecting it. And this goes back to the whole, oh, I'm not a sprinter. How much time do you practice sprinting? Um, and I think that if you want to be better, you, you know, you're going to learn how to get closer to people and what sort of sprinter you are, what kind of style do you use to, to get position and to get into the right, you know, space that you need to be in. Um, so the last topic is timing. So a big one with this is, I mean, the summary of this is basically when do I do what? And there's a lot of people, a lot of very strong riders who they, you know, they have all the power they need. They have all of the, um, you know, not, not just sprint power. They have the five minute power. They have, you know, they were able to make it to the finish of the race. These are all important precursors to being Mm -hmm. able to sprint. Um, but they huffed and puffed at the wrong time and, you know, they finished at the back of the pack. And so timing is about when do I use my power? I think the biggest thing with that is, um, basically save as much as possible, but be in the right position Mm -hmm. is the way to think of that. So, um, you know, one thing that my old coach, when I was having trouble with sprinting, he said, um, it's the last lap of the race. Why aren't you in the top 10 wheels? Mm -hmm. Um, are you tired? And, you know, of course the answer is like, no, it's a 40 person crit. We just rode around for 40 minutes. Like it wasn't terribly intense. Okay. So why aren't you top 10? Like if, if you're not tired, there's no excuse to not be top 10, um, which was an interesting way to think about it. And I think that's something that a lot of more amateur riders won't, uh, won't really think about, but, uh, you know, the, the lap timer is placed, you know, prominently in a very easy to see position. You can definitely see how many laps are left. And, um, usually people who are good sprinters will start five to seven laps out, mm-hmm. um, depending on what your technique is for, you know, how you ride around the pack, you know, do you stay more closer to the back? Do you stay mid pack at around five to seven laps? You'll see a lot of good sprinters start to slowly move up. So the idea here is to get into the top 10 wheels, but to not spend any energy. Uh, Basically you want to feel like you're just using a little bit more energy than if you were just sitting in. And the way that you take position is, you know, maybe in a corner, you just edge someone out and you sort of force them to go a bit wide. You've now gained a position. Um, Maybe there's a little lull in the field, you can um, stay on the pedals and move up around the outside and just carry your speed. And that'll give you a few more places. You'll see that a lot of the top riders will just slowly one or two places each corner. And this is down to maybe two laps to go. At two laps, you really start to cement yourself into a position that you want to be. And a lot of top riders will know in advance. So um, they'll have an idea. This is also one of those practice things. They'll have an idea of, oh, two laps to go, probably seventh wheel. Because a few people will peel off the front, they'll maybe go a little early. Um, and, you know, maybe halfway through the lap, I need to be top five. You know, going into the last lap, maybe I need to be fourth wheel. Um, you know, I know this other team is going to have a couple of people leading out. So maybe I need to be fifth wheel because their lead out, their sprinter is fourth. And I want to be, you know, in a good position right behind him. And then going into the last lap, the timing with that is... Um, 
not just timing your sprint, but even before the sprint, there's usually this like waterfall effect, especially in amateur races where the guy at the front basically hesitates and he says, oh, I don't want to be at the front with this much space to go. And he sort of sits up and really reduces the speed. And all these people who are 15th to 20th wheel, they all fly around the outside. And if you're in a good position before that happens, basically you you get swarmed and overwhelmed by these people. And um, it can be frustrating because you just spent the last five to seven laps slowly positioning yourself. And in terms of timing, you have to start to get a feel for when it's about to happen, when the waterfall is about to happen, and you have to be preemptive. Um, the best example I have of this I saw was, um, I think it was Colleen Gulick, um, the top uh, track rider in the area. And I specifically remember watching her with a lap and a half to go, um, looking behind her. She was second wheel. She didn't even look forward at the person in front. She just stared backwards and just watched for the waterfall because she knew it was inevitable. And basically, as she saw it sort of coming, the wave sort of coming, she made sure to position herself in front of them and accelerate so that she was now suddenly the front of the waterfall. And then uh, because of the timing of it, she was at the front and was able to just stick it out and hold the front wheel. So um, having the capacity to do that and sort of getting a feel for, okay, we're really slowing down. There's no way people aren't going to try and jump on this. Um, learning how to do that is definitely really important. And uh, the last section is actually when to start your sprint. And as Todd said earlier, this is uh, completely personal, and it's also specific to the course. So if the um, the finish is pretty close to the last corner, usually you want to be first or second through the, through the last corner. Mm-hmm. And the timing there is actually timing yourself to sprint into the corner. So... If, if it's the, the finish line is close to the corner, you want to be, you know, usually first. Sometimes the person second can sneak around, mm-hmm. but the fight is actually for that corner. So a lot of people kind of get it wrong in that they think you're supposed to be, you know, fighting for the finish line. You're actually fighting for the, the part of the course that dictates the finishing order. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the rate limiting step, right? Yeah. So... Um, usually it's the last corner. Sometimes if you have like a really long straightaway, some road races, they'll just have a line in the road. Um, sometimes that's a little bit tougher. That's a bit more of like a conventional track race finish where it's sort of like, how do I get the timing of my positioning? How do I not get waterfalled? Stuff like that. Some of the more technical courses, you have to almost think of the finish line as that rate limiting location, whatever that technical corner is or whatever the, the limiter is that will, um, really lengthen the the field so at that point you have to sort of learn about what kind of rider you are so say you're like a really snappy rider and you have fairly good technical abilities you can come in second wheel into like a hundred meter finish and if you come in with enough speed you can stick right on the guy in front of you's wheel and you just snap for the last 50 meters Mm -hmm. and you just make up one bike length if you're more of like a bullish rider you would want to do like a a huge double kick. So you would do like a full gas sprint into the corner, really lean into it, especially if it's, you'd have to see if it's, uh, if you can do it without brakes, hopefully you can. And you just really smash that corner. And then as soon as your bike's upright, you just get right back on the pedals and you just, um, you know, really meet it out and just hope that, you know, nobody was able to stay close enough. Um, And of course, you know, if you're somewhere in between, you have to sort of balance it and, Um, The last thing about timing is 
at the end of the day, this was this is also something I think a lot of people don't understand about sprinting is sprinters generally they do so much following and mm-hmm. um don't they 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 have in their head don't go is so common for 45 50 55 minutes don't go don't go don't go and you know they see a move up the road oh you can't go no it's okay like they'll they'll come back yeah your mindset is always not now not now and you have to learn how to turn that into now right at the right moment and this is the hardest part it's Something that is almost a good exercise is um, like come in second place. Just find the sprinter that you think is going to win and just ride behind them and stay on their wheel, wheel no matter what and let them win almost. And that's almost an experience on itself. And that's all of the steps up to deciding to sprint. And if you have the capacity to do that, you have the capacity to be a great sprinter because that kick is the hardest part, but all this other stuff has removed so many people from potentially winning that if you're able to get to this selection, you actually have a very good chance of winning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other piece of it is you need to lose a few sprints. Uh, in, in the same, it's fine in a practice setting, be it on the track or be it on your group ride or your practice crit, but just experiment with whatever crazy stride, like the extremes, like I'm going to launch a really long sprint. If you had that opportunity uh, on one of your group rides or training opportunities, like I'm going to do a really long sprint and see how this goes for me. And, you know, in, in my case, that, that does not work for me. So that, that went terribly. And I, I learned that lesson and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I need to wait a little bit longer. And I think, which is good. I, I learned that and like, okay, yeah, I, I have to wait a little bit, a little bit closer and then I can accelerate and have pretty quick acceleration. And that's where I'm going to get an opportunity to win from a sprint. That being said, to your point of like this, wait, 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 wait. If that's your style, you really have to be committed to that opportunity when it's time to go. You got to go. Isn't there like, yep. you can't say like, I'm going to keep waiting. Like, no, no, no. If you have, if you're very snappy, you have to know that. And you have to you have a really short switch. Just turn that off and say, now it's time. I've got to go. Yep. Whereas if you have a little bit longer sprint, you have a little bit more wiggle room to to execute that and and have a, a successful outcome as opposed to being snappy like you got a pretty small window to execute and you have to do it very precisely so the more practice you can get in training crits you know just sprinting to a town line sprinting by yourself to understand you know, how your acceleration works how how it feels how long you can kick for all those things uh, will help you with that timing so as jason said yeah set it up find that sprinter you think is going to win follow them around the course, knock that out. Once you figure that piece out and you put all those sort of technical pieces together of this is how I need to ride to get myself in the position, then you need to know about yourself and be able to know like, yep, now now is the time. I can't wait any longer. I waited, I was patient, I did all the right things. Now I gotta do it. Yeah, and I think back to practicing your sprints depending on if, if you are a snappy rider, I, I consider myself more on the snappy end. I like to sort of go from mundane to 100% as quickly as possible. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're just in your drops, just riding along to suddenly you're out of the saddle, you're full gas. And that sort of instantaneousness, I think, is the key to being a snappy uh, sprinter. Someone who's a little more, um, you know, just full gas, they'll sort of like, yeah, we're getting there. And like, I don't know how to explain it, but you just are... Um, you know, you're out of the saddle and you're really going through it, but it's not this sort of like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, they're kind of like revving up to speed. It's like, I don't know, the way I think about it is kind of like your zero to 60, right? Like 
some cars are fast, zero to 60. I'm like, yep, I got the 60 and I can, I can keep going at 60, 70, 80. And then some cars get to 60 really fast. Like maybe it's the difference between a fast motorcycle, like that's the snappy rider and a fast car. Like a, a fast motorcycle is always going to be a fast car to 60. What happens after that? Uh, that depends. Right. And I think the, this timing idea of, um, you know, when is that instantaneous moment where it's now is the time to go. This is my window. I need to finish this off. It's so hard to comprehend because you do spend so much time negative racing, like I said. And I think that one way to think about this is to sort of extrapolate it to other sports. So a lot of times, you know, soccer, basketball, um, even like I've been play- playing a bit of chess recently. It's also like this and sort of there's a lot of mundane sort of, you know, some passing, some dribbling, uh, maybe, you know, you're moving your pieces around a little bit. It seems all kind of boring. And then in an instant, it's like, oh, wait, the play's done. And how did that wait? They scored. Wait, what? And I think especially soccer, if this is for American, like American sports fans, like mm-hmm. football, American football, basketball, it's a lot of scoring. Soccer, like you can go 90 minutes and there's one goal and like American fans are like, what? I, I missed it? When did that happen? What, what are they doing now? What's, why are they just kicking the ball around? Yeah. And so I think that thinking in those terms, I think basketball is also a great example because, you know, there is sort of this mundane interlude and then there's a lot of really instantaneous action. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, either it, you scored or, you, you know, you lost the ball. And I think that thinking in those terms of, uh, you know, here's this instant, you know, we waited, we waited, here's this moment, you you won the race or you lost it. Yep. And the top sprinters are the ones who are able to convert as often as possible. So in your practice crits, think about this sort of, um, you know, you can see the finish line coming, maybe you're in the right position, you've already sort of asserted yourself, it's too late for people to start to do any sort of crazy stuff, you're kind of stuck in your position, learning that, okay, 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 now we go, that sort of idea that that mindset that brain is what's going to lead you to successfully sprint yeah i think the one nice thing if you do your practice rides in the same spot it's like hopefully there's some markers on the road or a tree or a bush or whatever that you can kind of mark yourself is like okay yep i kind of like i need to accelerate when i hit that that signpost or that crack in the pavement or, or whatever mm-hmm. and you can then you know, work backwards when you get into a race situation on a, a, a foreign course, an unfamiliar course, and say like, okay, yeah, this point, this crosswalk we cross here, that's about the same distance uh, as the crack that I sprint from the practice crit. Yeah. And you can correlate those things. Okay, like, yeah, I know that if I'm in this situation in the race, about that time we hit the, st- the crosswalk, boom, I got to go. And you can give yourself, and I think that's the value, right? You hear about the, the Tour de France sprinters, their teams go and review the course before a stage. And that's basically what they're doing, right? They want to know what's going to prevent them, where's potential hazards, uh, and leading up to that sprint. Like, where where would I want to go if it was up to me, right? If it works out the way I want, where would I want to go? And sort of thinking through what the the possibilities are for that sprint and how how they can win it. So I think going when you're if you get to do some warm up laps in the course, going through with that mindset and thinking, okay, how can I in a perfect world how would I win this? Great, and then. What are a couple contingency plans in case it doesn't work out quite the way I want it to today? Right. I think a lot of good sprinters will have an idea of how far they can sprint at, you know, from say your lead outs like 30 or so getting up to 36, 37, 38. um, You'll, you'll sort of have an idea of like, I can see the finish line. This looks about right. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the top riders will 
during the pre-writing, they'll say, well, it's a bit of a headwind um, right. or, you know, a crosswind or um, maybe I'm a bit gassed because this was actually a pretty technical hard crit. Maybe we need to wait a little bit longer. It's those guys will know, um, yeah, we'll just wait like one more second. And then that's that's the right moment. And you'll see other riders who maybe are less experienced or maybe a little overconfident in their abilities. They'll go that one second early and you'll overtake them in the last you know, 10 meters or whatever. And that's really common. And, and that once again is practice. And if, if we could summarize this whole podcast in one, you know, one word, it would be practice. I think that sprinting specifically is a very um, behavior based and very um, repetition based uh, action. I think that there are other uh, parts of the sport where maybe you, you need to know some stuff that's more technical. There are some hints that sort of say, oh, okay, that makes it easier. I think sprinting specifically is what makes you a good sprinter and learning about what makes you a good sprinter by doing it. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. My own thing, just thinking from my own experience, especially like mountain biking and doing some road racing and, and sprinting there and crit. Like I didn't know until I did. Okay. I had to yeah. do the mountain bike races and recognize like, Oh yeah, I can sprint this far, this hard at the beginning of a race. And if I do too much more, the rest of the race didn't go so well. I have a little gas going up the first climb. And if I don't do enough, then I sacrifice position. And the same thing when I got into the road and doing crits, like, yeah, I can sprint from that far at that pace, you know, up a hill or not, you know, on a flat or whatever. And learning those things from repetition and just practicing. So, okay, yeah, this, this will work for me plus or minus and let's do it. Yeah. And also like the, the full gas sort of like, this is every ounce of energy in my body. And when I'm done, when I, you know, bike throw, which you all should be bike throwing when you're done your bike throw and you sit down in the saddle, you are like, that was every single bit of creatine phosphate in my body. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that, that was hard. Yeah. And learning how to do that. There are some people who they're like, well, that was a sprint. And you're like, well, you're not breathing too heavy. You see these these top sprinters, they lay on the ground after they're done their race. I mean, that's how much they're willing to, you know, grab every single little tiny ounce. And you, you have to learn how to do that. You can't just decide to do it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's sprinting. Hopefully uh, you got some tips. Hopefully you're less scared of it. I think that's also another thing is sort of, uh, oh, I'm not really a sprinter. You know, I, I just won't even sort of touch that area. Um, there's no reason why you can't find the, the most hidden road to do your first sprint on, um, even though it might seem a little silly or, you know, you might not feel like you're doing it right by the second, third, fourth, fifth sprint, you'll start to get a better understanding of the motion of the bike, the, the muscles that you engage and really how to get, how to get the force through the pedals. I think it's, it's cool as you start to practice it, you'll, you'll probably see pretty big improvements in your wattage too. Like if you're tracking that, you'll just, as you practice and you get the technique honed a little bit, like, oh yeah. I'm producing some bigger watts yep. and that's, that's from the skill, not from the training uh, at first. Yeah. So, uh, as we always say, uh, keep the rubber side down and, uh, hopefully we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah. And, and as always, uh, if you like us, leave us a review or share with friends or both, maybe not with competitors, depending on how competitive you are yep. and, and until next time, thanks for listening.